Um, and I'm trying to really live life sober and clean. And that's really hard because the last 15 years of my life, a substance of some sort has controlled me, like has had great reign and power over my whole entire life for the last 15 years. You know, like when I started growing up, um, I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to budget. I don't know how to pay bills. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I don't know how to have a relationship with another human being, no matter what kind it is. I grew up in a home that was full of drug use and alcoholism. As far back as I can remember, I only remember seeing my mom with a drink in her hand. I tried my first hard drug when I was 13. And by the time I was 16 or 17, you name it, I probably had used it. When I was 17, I really hadn't been going to school very much, so pretty much missed most of my junior year. I ended up having my mom sign me out of high school and dropped out. When I was about 19, a friend of mine took me to a drug dealer's house and I didn't leave there for a year and a half. I sobered up from the methamphetamine, and um, I was just smoking pot. I was delivering newspapers. I worked 365 days a year, and I had worked for another newspaper company on top of the star. Uh, eventually, my drug abuse had started to flare up again. I was taking um, pills to help keep me awake so that I could you know, take care of my child and work all the time. And that didn't uh, turn out so well. One day in my house, I caught this friend using a needle. And that kind of sparked my addiction, truly. And I was always that person that said, I'm never going to stick a needle in my arm. I'm so scared of that kind of thing. But it ended up happening. Um, my drug abuse was extremely, extremely heavy. I was arrested and taken to jail for a crime that I had committed. Um, it was a misdemeanor charge, and my bond was $250. But I sat in jail for 75 days. So when you watch that portion of that video, <clears throat> I'm curious of what goes through your mind. Do you think, oh my gosh, wow. Whew, what a, thank you, Lord, for my life, right? Or do you go, me too? Do you say, wow. I I can relate to that in a lot of different ways because my situation is or has been just as broken as Amanda's there, right? Now, here's the truth. Your story may not reflect hers, but the consequences or the actions or the things underneath it were all very much the same. And if we're not careful, what happens is we say, oh, well, I'm not as bad as them. Well, at least I didn't do that. And that's not, however, what we read in scriptures. I want to bring your attention to Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue this study. Um, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors of New City Church. And I'm honored that you're here today. And my, my goal is honestly to push us, continue to push us into obedience to the Lord. Not obedience into what this church thinks you should do. For Pete's sake, well, how, do we, how do we lean in and allow God to speak into your life so that you don't do things that you look back on and go, Wow, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Man, my prayer all week has been, would the Lord speak and would we be obedient? Ephesians chapter 2, as the, all, the whole letter of Ephesians was written uh, to a specific group of people. And I put it in your bulletin, Ephesians chapter 1 there. It says, Paul wrote this to the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. 
So when people who were reading this letter, they, these weren't people who were seeking the Lord. You need to know this. This was people who were the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus, not those who were kind of trying on Jesus and kind of coming to church a little bit, which may be your story. That's okay. I'll talk, to, I'll talk about uh, you specifically in a second. But these were people that were walking with the Lord. They, they were the people that potentially that when you looked at them, you were like, hey, I want to be like you when I grow up spiritually, right? They, they were, Paul is going to talk to them about spiritual things. There's a second group, though, that I think today that uh, has the opportunity to respond and to hear, not just the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul writes this, and he's talking to these people. He says, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed in Christ. You were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Paul is reminding these people that there was a time when they heard the gospel, they heard this information for the first time, and their eyes were open, their ears were opened, and they actually heard it, and they responded to this message. Mine is my prayer for both groups in the room, that for those of us who are the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus, this is the group that I strive and, and, and desire greatly to be a part of, that we would have an attitude of worship so that like when we sing those songs, how he loves us, man, we can't help but just kind of go, woo right? Because we're so grateful for what God has done in our life. But there's also those of us who we don't yet quite get it. And you've heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it. And it's my prayer that today you would get it, that your eyes would be spiritually opened and God would grab a hold of your life and begin moving you through that painful, and that's a very intentional word, painful process to get you to the life of obedience. Because I can promise you this about following Jesus. It is a completely opposite direction of that of the world. And if you think for a second that you're going to get to pursue the world the way that you've been doing it, that you're going to get to go to work and be the employee that you've been, or the dad or the mom, or pick your profession, pick your little slice of life, that you're going to get to pursue it in, the, in your normal mode of operation, man, I'm going to let you down horribly because Jesus calls us to a new way, to a new life that is reflected of him and not of this world. And some of us, we just need to be honest with ourselves and say this, I love the world more than I love Jesus. Because when you first say that and it comes out of your mouth, wow, now we can attack the problem. And we have to begin to change our affections for the things of this world. It's silly, but it could be like this. I love playing Heyday more than I love following Jesus. You know what Heyday is? It's an app on my phone. I don't know why I don't delete it. Maybe I should, right? <laughs> Maybe it's I love watching this more than I love following Jesus. And you say, whoa, whoa, man, I, I follow Jesus. I'm at church on Sunday morning for Pete's sake. I'm here. Listen, this is not the end-all be-all to following Jesus. Here's the truth. We say, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray because we're too busy pursuing things that we love more than Jesus. Everybody in the room gets 24 hours, correct? Now, you may sleep 12 of them, right? You may work another 16, right? You may, you may, you may feel, that's not correct math, but you get what I'm saying. You feel your day was something, right? I'm a preacher, not a mathematician. That's for a whole nother team at New City. I do not manage the finances in any way. Amen. All right. My buddy Derek thinks that's funny. There are things in our life that we put in place of, right? It's not like we say, hey, I'm choosing this over the Lord, but it's things that we put in front of the Lord, which means that we don't have time to spend with him. And so we carry around this burden of, man, I wish I could have, I wish I would have. And the Lord is saying, why don't you just put me first? Why don't you just lean into me more, right? And all that other stuff can fall in line afterwards when there's time, when there's space. But the truth is this. We love the passions of our life. We love the desires. We love the cravings of our flesh more than we love the Lord. And if you would just say it, 
That way God knows where to go to work and you begin to know what you need to kill. Now this is funny. Actually, it's not funny. You can ask the team. I'm not making this up. Thursday, I said, on Sunday, I want to throw a funeral. And I chose not to. I was going to have a casket. And um, I was going to give us opportunities to kill things in our life, to bury them, to say, I will not uh, participate in this anymore, right? And it's not always evil, bad stuff that you're ashamed of. It's, it's things that just steal your affections from God. And it was going to be an opportunity for us to say, you know what, I'm going to bury this. I'm going to kill this so that I might live for Christ. And we chose not to do that. And then lo and behold, I end up, and I stand up talking about a funeral anyway. Don't be mistaken. Every person in this room, there is something in your life that is competing for your affections towards Jesus. In every moment of your day, you have to decide, are you going to give in to that or are you going to give in to the Lord? Let's look at what the scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes again to the saints, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's talking about past stuff here. He says, And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. What is Paul saying? saying this, There was a time in your life, you saints, you faithful in Christ Jesus, where you played by a different set of rules. There was a time in your life, you saints, you faithful in Christ Jesus, where you did what you wanted to do. And like Amanda, you reflect on it and you can tell the story. You once were into this. You once were into that. You once did this. You once pursued that. And Paul is just setting this up that, listen, there was a time when we were all listening and being influenced by the evils of this world. And he says that there's actually this evil spirit that is pursuing you and pushing you and trying to get you into doing the things of your flesh, the things of this culture, rather than being obedient to the very thing that God puts in your heart. The hard part is this culture just screams and shouts and God often just whispers. And God's, you know, you ever sit through a TV show and you see the same commercial over and over and over? Like if I see one more Geico lizard commercial, right? I wish somebody would step on that thing, right? I'm tired of seeing them. And God says, listen, I've said it. It's in my word. You have the opportunity, Matt, every day to open my book to Ephesians chapter 2 and to read what I've done for you, what I've done for you, what I've done for you. Culture, there, however, puts it in front of your face and puts it in front of your face. Whether you want to see it or not, it just kind of slams it in front of you, slams it in front of you. And because of that, we often listen to culture more than we listen to the Word because how we struggle, we're so busy to sit down and open the Word and read what God says to us. And we wonder why we love the things of this world more than we love the things of God. We wonder why uh, we pursue silly things that we look back on and we go, what was I thinking? You weren't thinking. You were following what the culture demanded of you. There was a time when you played by a different set of rules. Paul goes on, verse 3, among whom all of us also formerly lived... Uh, out our lives and the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. There was a time. Now, what's fuzzy and what's frustrating for, for all of us, for myself, as a pastor of a church, as a person who's actually trying to follow Jesus like many of you are, is that oftentimes I don't feel like, like, like Paul says that although you were dead and although you used to do these things, isn't it true that for most of us who confess Jesus as Lord, that we believe in him, that there's still a lot of that dead stuff still in us? Like, don't sometimes you find yourself doing something that the old you used to do? You're like, you think about the things that the old you used to think about, or you, maybe you even brought some of that anger and some of that rage and some of that frustration into the new you. And so like, sometimes it's really confusing for where the old you stops and the new you starts. See, that's where we have to mature, church. 
For those of you who are the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus at New City, for those of you who are like, man, I am in, man, I'm in. This is where we have to mature in our faith, church. We have to grow into spiritual parents. We have to mature and become trustworthy. That people can count on us to look at us and say, oh, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. We don't need a room full of people telling people what they should do. We need a room full of people who are reflecting God through their actions and deeds. And how do you get there? You saints, you faithful in Christ Jesus. It's about you get more of him, more of Jesus, more of his instruction, and less of all of those other things. John the Baptist said this, that he would become greater and I would become less. That he would become greater and I would become less. But some of us, if we're just honest, you're more concerned about what you want to do and what's best for you than what the Word says about you and what you should do. And so you literally say things like, well, I don't really care what the Bible says because this is what I'm going to do. This is what's best for me. Ooh, what a dangerous place to be in when you say, Lord, I know what you say, but yet this is what I'm going to do. I have this hypothesis for you scientists in the room. I've already proved I'm not a mathematician. Maybe now I can prove that I'm not a scientist, but I... I have this hypothesis. I want to share it with you. My hypothesis is in your bulletin. It says this. People sin in the context of two primary things. When I'm talking about people, I'm talking about you and I. We sin in the context of what we can afford and what we can get away with. Right? Think about it. You watch Justin Bieber. You watch Kardashians. Pick your person on TV that you just go, oh my gosh. Like Think about the star that you shake your head at. Here's the deal. If you had their resources and their power, you'd do the same thing. When I was talking about this to Pastor Chris, he's like, I, I agree, because when I could only afford a 12-pack, I only bought a 12-pack. But when I got that job at that hospital and I made a lot more money, I became an alcoholic. You will sin in the context of what you can afford. Unless your sin is like money required, and then as you get deeper and deeper into it, all of a sudden you look and you're like, what kind of mess have I created? Look at this debt. Look at this pain. Look at the, oh my gosh, how will I ever get out of this financial ruin? Because see, here's the thing about your sin. What you think you can afford, what you think will keep you from going to jail or getting that divorce or losing your job, it starts out so small. If it didn't, you wouldn't do it. Like I very, I doubt that anybody's leaving here today and going and robbing a bank tomorrow. But you'll cheat on your taxes. Oh, come on, Matt. Don't. No, you will. You'll cheat on your taxes, but you're not going to rob a bank because everybody cheats on taxes. Not everybody robs a bank. Come on. And we just get more, more. But you know what sin does? You never have enough. Did you know that some of us, I'm going to pick on us for a second. Some of us have been cheating on our taxes for years and you're still not wealthy. I'd go a different direction maybe. (laughs) Some of you have chosen not to be generous in your finances towards your local church or it's this one or somewhere else and you still haven't got ahead. I maybe would change the direction in which you walked. Maybe change your mind on how that works. See, sin always leaves you wanting a little bit more. Did you know that? Maybe you didn't know that. See, the enemy says, ooh, you need this. And those desires, ooh, this is what you need. This will make you feel good. This will make you smile. This will help you go to sleep. This will do whatever it is, right? And then you do it. And man, if, you, if you're not wanting more the next time, and sin just always leaves you craving more, craving more. And our appetite gets bigger, right? And before long, what was this simple little thing that, you know, was not a big deal. Now it's kind of, it's a little bit of a thing. Like before it was just kind of girls in bikinis. And now it's like, ooh, like you're like making sure nobody's coming in the room. You're up way past your bedtime. 
looking at stuff on your computer that if your son, if you saw your son looking at this stuff on your computer, you would, you would, you would ground him, you would punish him, you would take privileges away. But for somehow, it's okay because it's sin gets a hold of us, right? And it creates this appetite within us, and we begin to feed it, we begin to feed it, we begin to feed it. Before long, man, what was once this little fuzzy, oh, it's so sweet little sin, now it has its claws in you. And you say, oh, man, come on, now, I'm free. Really? You're free? Do, do an experiment this week, right? Just stop whatever it is. Just stop it. Don't get high this week. Don't have a drink this week. Don't look at pornography this week. Don't flirt this week. Don't steal this week. Just see if that sin has a hold of you. You know, make it two weeks. I think what you will find is, ooh, man, that sin's got its hold in you. And you're not up free. You are a slave to that very thing. And Paul says, you were dead to that. Paul says, look at it. He says, and although you were dead in your transgressions, like Paul is saying, there was a time, church, when you played by your own set of rules where you were headed to the... See, here's what's going to happen. Many of you, if you don't change your ways, you're going to end up at the destination of your path. And when you get there, you're not going to like it. If you don't repent, which simply means to stop and to turn, if you don't do that, all of a sudden, one day, ta-da, you're going to end there and you're going to go, whoa, this is not at all what I thought, but it's exactly where you've been walking for a period of time. And Paul says that although you are headed to, straight to hell, although you are headed straight to destruction... I love these two words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God. But, you see, you can't, listen, there's two ways to say it. You can say it like T.D. Jakes or you can say it like Joel Osteen, right? You got to say it kind of like that big, soulful African-American pastor. But God. You can't say, but God. You know, you got to say it, you know, because this is not some little pansy statement. Get this. In your sin, in, in the act of whatever it is that you do, in your act of just ignoring God, in your act of being too busy for God, but God, man, to the saints, to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, this should in- increase in us such a desire to follow the Lord, to get rid of the things in our life that are holding us back from Him, to strip off the sins, to strip off the distractions, to strip off the relationships that are slowing us down so that you can follow Jesus. But instead, you pursue the things of the world and you try to fit Jesus into your, into your pattern. You pursue the things of the world and you try to uh, fit Jesus into what you want to do. And Jesus says, that's not how I play this. Jesus tells you and I to come follow Him. Would you agree? Over and over in Scripture, Jesus says, come follow me, come follow me. He doesn't say, I follow you. Some of us think that we just pray a prayer, and we cry a little bit, and then we just kind of go about and do whatever the heck we want, and somehow God's okay with that, and he just follows you around in all your little sin trails. No, no, no. Jesus does this. He stands over here, and he goes, hey, I'm over here. When you're ready, when you've had enough of that mess, you come follow me. When what you thought was once fun and made you feel good, all of a sudden it's created pain in your life, I haven't moved. Come follow me. And you say, man, I don't, well, I don't know where Jesus is. Yeah, you do. Can I, can I tell you? Let's start with the word. For Jesus was the perfect reflection of God. Oh, I don't have time for that, Matt. See, I can watch this and it makes me feel good. Like it's immediate. See, faith is so hard. Because faith is pursuing something even when you can't see it. But having hope that it's there. It's being obedient even when it doesn't feel as good as being disobedient. But you're obedient because that's what the Lord asked you to do. In church, if we're going to mature as a people of God, and I'm talking, to the called, I'm talking to the called out ones, I'm talking to the faithful, the saints, if we're going to mature, even if we're the only church in Kansas City that does it, that's quite all right. But I'm, I'm asking you and I'm pleading with you. 
And I'm crying out with you that we would be obedient to the Lord and we would get rid of these childish, silly things that are keeping us from pursuing the things of God. But let's just be honest. You love that more than you love Him. But man, when you know it, what a great place to start. I'm just telling you, you can't avoid this and pursue Jesus. You're, oh, oh I feel, but Matt, I feel, I don't care how you feel. Did you know that most times your feelings don't align with him? I'm just speaking personally for me. The things that get me the most angry, the things that get me the most frustrated, I really have a hard time backing those things sometimes in the word. Sometimes I have to take my emotions, just as though Abraham did with his son Isaac, and put it on the altar and say, God, you can kill it or you can save it. What do you want to do? Because oftentimes I'm wrong in what I think and what I feel. I'm guessing you may be the same way. Well, Matt, I've just always, it doesn't matter what you've always done. You were dead and resurrected in Jesus. Now you live for him. The old is gone. The new has come. You've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. God says, I'm looking for a new creation. But yet some of us, we say one thing about the Lord, but yet our life reflects something completely different. It is time we mature in our walk. And if this is hitting you wrong, it should hit you wrong. It hits me wrong. It hits me wrong when I know there's those times throughout the day when the Lord says, hey, I want some more of you right now, and instead you're pursuing this over here. And then I get a choice, just as you get a choice. Will I continue to watch the tube, or will I, continue to, will I go to prayer, or give time to the Lord to read and understand more about Him? Are you more hungry for who's going to win the Super Bowl, or hungry for God's calling upon your life? Ouch. Are you hungry uh, maybe for back when oh, uh, who was going to win Dancing of the Stars or were you hungry for about what God was going to do in your life? And yet we get so caught up in these things that just get our attention and get our heart's desire and Jesus' his voice gets smaller and smaller and quieter and quieter and before long you're like, well, I don't even feel the Lord anymore at all. Well, no joke. Because you've wandered so far away. But God... In all of that, listen, in all of your rebellion, you faithful, you saints, in all of your rebellion, in all of your business, but God, being rich in mercy, what does that mean? Not giving you what you deserve, not giving me what I deserve, because God is rich in mercy, because of his great love, his great commitment to us. Even though we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. You say, how is that possible? Because you just carry around the guilt, the shame, you're never going to be good enough. Bingo, you hit it. You're not. That's why Ephesians chapter 1, over and over, actually 11 times, Paul says, in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. When you are weak, Christ is strong. When you don't think you can, you're right, but Christ can. How, Matt? You follow Jesus. You don't follow your desires. But, Matt, I'm so weak, and this thing has such a pull on me. Quit listening to it and listen to the Lord. You have to tell your sin who's boss. Ooh, well, that's a novel idea, right? Think about this. Whenever you want to do something that you know in your heart is anti-Jesus, you tell that thing. You're not the boss of me no more. Sometimes my girls get this little splinter in their finger. Your kids have gotten them too, right? And there's not a kid alive who enjoys splinters being pulled out of their finger. Could we agree? Oh, my little girls, you just thought that I was just cutting their heads off or something. It's the, you know? But I'm like, you got to be still. Man, I have to hold their little hands still. And they're screaming and crying. I'm just like, just be patient. i got to get this out. But once I get it out and the pain's gone, wipe those tears away. Oh, is it, is it better now? Yeah, Daddy, it's better. Oh, man, I'm telling you, sin's got its splinters in you. 
And what I pray for each of us is that God gets a hold of your life. And oh, it's going to hurt. And he's going to like, I'm getting this splinter out of you because you belong to me. And I'm the Lord of your life. You're a saint. You're called out. I have chosen you. I have uh, picked you and I'm going to work through you. And you've got to get all this stuff out of your way. And so I'm going to work on your life. And the reason that some of you are miserable is because you are a saint, the faithful in Christ Jesus, and yet you aren't acting like a saint or the faithful in Christ Jesus, and God is going to work on you, and you're misunderstanding His discipline, His teaching in your life as pain and hardship, and that God doesn't love you. No, He greatly loves you. He's trying to get the splinter out of your finger. So be still and feel the pain. And on the backside, enjoy the Lord and His obedience. But God, in your sin. He doesn't say, hey, go get your stuff together. Go get your life in order. And when you have it all perfect, then you come talk to me. No, no. But God, while you were dead, while you were in your sin, he saved you. Not because you're good. Read Ephesians chapter 2. By grace, through faith, you were saved. So you can't boast. Hey, God, look at me. I'm better than Amanda. I didn't do her stuff. No, no, no. God says, you're, you were on the same highway to hell, buddy. You just picked a different path. But in your mess, I saved you. By grace. What is grace? Grace is a free gift. If mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is a free gift. He gives you a free gift of mercy. And he says, I am picking you up out of this mess. And I'm putting you on a new path, a path that follows me. And oh, how will we be known? John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 1. How might the world recognize us and all the other people of this world? By our love. What's that mean? That we feel love more? No, 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 no. By our love. By our commitment to the Father. That while the world says go this way, we listen to the Father. When He says go that way, we go and the world will know you by your love. By your commitment to the Father. The world will know you by the way that you live. How you do things differently from all of your friends. How you don't act like they act. You don't talk like they talk. You will be known by your commitment to the Father, by your love. And just be honest, right? Some of us were way, way, way more committed to the things of this world than committed to the Father. It is time to mature, to turn our hearts back to the Lord, to repent and to confess and say, Father, change me. Remove this from my life. I want to kill it so that I can follow you. I want to share a scripture with you because some of us in this room are in some hurt right now. We're in some pain. Like you're reaping benefits of decisions that you made. Been there. I am there right now. In Romans, Paul tells us this. For God causes all things to work for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, some of us just want to take out the second part, but it's, God causes all things to work for the good for those of us who are his saints, his faithful in Christ Jesus, who are called according to his purpose. For those of you who are walking with the Lord and you find yourself in a lot of hurt, God causes all things to work for the good. In your mess, start being obedient. Don't feel like you got to go back and try to make up and correct and do what, no, no. In where you are, start being obedient. And he causes all things to work for the good of those who love God and are caught according to his purpose. Let's discover how the rest of Amanda's story plays out. Um, it was a misdemeanor charge, and my bond was $250. But I sat in jail for 75 days. Um, there was this lady there, 
And when I first got there, I was like, oh my gosh, this Bible thumping, just the epitome of a church person. And in my opinion, I was like, wow, this lady's crazy. Um, She was very open with her spirituality. You know, I really don't know exactly when was the turning point for me, but I wasn't there for maybe a week, week and a half, and I decided um, that maybe I wanted what this lady had. She was so happy for no reason. Um, She was there for six months um, being accused of a crime that she did not commit, and it was wonderful because being a few weeks into just completely surrendering my life to the Lord and deciding that um, I didn't quite understand it as I want to follow Jesus at that time, but deciding to um, really change my life and surrender to the Lord, basically. Surrender to um, something I didn't even know anything about. Um, I was released from there and I was like, yes, I get to go home. This is wonderful. But really, really scary at the same time because now I get to go out into the world and I have all the worldly influences that have been really blocked for me while I was there. Um, You know, I had plenty of time to read the Bible. I fasted a couple of times while I was there. Um, I prayed a lot. There's really not much to do there. So it gave me a lot of time to kind of grow rapidly in my faith. The same friend that got me into the recovery groups that I go to kept saying, hey, you need to come over here. You need to come to this church. It's really good. I met this guy. His name's Chris, and he's really awesome. (laughs) And he is the one that showed me New City. So I'm going to the Not A Fan Book Club, which was really awesome. And during reading Not A Fan, I had some really deal-breaking moments in my life. Some of the things that I decided to do and not to do um, in my walk with the Lord. And I decided that I am a Jesus follower. I want it all. I'm going all the way with this thing. I was baptized in New City on the 29th of July. I moved into the Salvation Army's 90-day transitional housing program, and that's where I am now. Um, I was really, really scared to make that step. Salvation Army has decided that the program that they put me in is going to pay my rent until September 30th. I kind of ask myself quite often, how could you have been so scared to do something that God wanted you to have, wanted you to do? And since I have made that step, like it's blessing beyond compare. As long as I am obedient to the Lord in all of my affairs, um, in all of my, my everyday doings, my life, that he's always going to take care of me. He's always going to take care of everybody, my children, my family, um, everything. I never thought I would be in this place right now. (laughs) Um, It's really awesome.